thank you for joining us on the program. An absolute honor to finally be able to speak with you. Of course, we have some of your recordings. And of course, there's the documentary that you say that has blown up quite a bit. It's part of a larger context of recording haranas. But I think we'd like to know where your interest in haranas came from. Interestingly, I was never into Philippine traditional music. I liked Western classical I liked rock and roll, you know, I was all listening to Western music. And it wasn't until I came back to the Philippines upon my father's death. And suddenly, you know, my Banduria teacher was there. My elementary teacher was there. My guitar teacher was there. And suddenly there was this reconnection, you know. Suddenly I felt like, uh, wow, this is this is my culture. After being away for 12 years, coming back that way in the provinces, it was, it was a very powerful experience. After that, you know, I just started playing traditional Filipino music. I think it was my way of trying to reconnect the only way I know how through music. And it just picked up from there. I got interested in all traditional Filipino music. And I think after having been trained in music in the West, I went to the San Francisco Conservatory and then traveling around the world. It actually opened my eyes to the fact that the Filipino music is really quite beautiful. Because now I have these other types of music I can compare it with. And then suddenly you look at our traditional music that I used to call bakya. You know, I, I would never be caught dead listening to old kundimans, you know. But fast forward 20 years later, suddenly this music is actually beautiful. Also, the reconnection is powerful because, yeah, I, I play jazz, Bach, I trained in the West, but it's different when you're playing music from your own culture. It brings you something that just reading off a sheet of music from some white guy who died 500 years ago, you know, it's... I connect more with Filipino music that way. Yeah, and I never look back. I mean, I still love the Western classical composers. I, I still play Bach every day. It's kind of my exercise. It's good to have them in your pocket. It improves my technique, keeps it in shape. I'd never leave that part of me. I'm still a classically trained musician, but I play non-Western music. I play traditional Filipino music. I remember there was this time when... I've met the Haranistas and we were in a beach by Ilocos Norte and we were just playing music and they were teaching me all these songs and they're so beautiful. The words in deep Tagalog are so touching that I could not help myself. I had to excuse myself and go to the bathroom and cry. I had, I like, I couldn't control it. I was overwhelmed. It's like as if my forefathers were talking to me. I would never get that kind of experience from, a, you know, music from a different culture. I mean, I enjoy music from different culture. I listen to Mexican music. It's one of my favorites. But there's a certain depth to connecting to the music your forefathers listened to. And they're really quite beautiful. It was you coming home for your father's passing that allowed you to reconnect with Filipino music. And that is also where the documentary Harana begins. So uh, when and how and why did you decide to start filming Harana? It's uh, one thing led to another kind of thing, because all I wanted to do before was record an authentic Harana album. Because prior to this, I have recorded Art of Harana and Tipanan. And those were inspired after you know I, I came back upon my father's death. 
But for my third album, I wanted to record authentic Harana singers and make an album out of it. So then the next question is, where where do I find them? The answer is in the Philippines. You have to go to the Philippines. And I know there's more in the province than in Manila. So I know, I, okay, I'm going to go to the provinces and search for Haranistas so I can invite them to be part of this album. So then the next thought was that, well, if you're going to go to the provinces in search of Haranistas, why don't you film it? Because that could potentially be a beautiful film. You're in a beautiful setting. You're going from province to province. It's a track. You know, it's a road movie. It's kind of an adventure looking for something, right? So that's that's very film worthy, I think. Next thing that happened was, okay, well, I need to assemble a team who would help me do this because I can't do it on my own. So that took many years, a lot of research and, and years to assemble a team and fundraising. And in 2008, we're in the Philippines for the first leg of the shoot. After that first leg of the shoot, we ran out of money, we raised funds. And then when we got the funds in 2010, we came back, finished the film and stopped again and raised more funds for post-production. And then finally it's finished in 2012. Harana actually is an old film, you know, uh, people only know about it in the last three years since the pandemic because it was behind a paywall. But uh, three years ago, we released it on YouTube and it's been viral since. If anyone has seen the documentary, you'll know why it's viral. <laughs> Did I get that right? You had to shoot in two installments, as it were? Exactly, in 2008 and 2010. Why didn't you give up? It must have been a pretty daunting challenge. Yeah, yeah, I tell you, a project like this can really take over your life. It became an obsession. There was just an itch to finish it. And at some point, I almost gave up. I have all this footage. It's unfinished. I, I'm willing to wait another 10 years, you know. But fortunately, we got some help. We were able to raise funds and we were able to finish it in 2012. Harana is, you know, a lot of people think it's a vlog. <laughs> it's not a vlog. It's a film. So it's not like some guy with a video or a phone camera following me. No, it's not. We have a team of 14 people and they're all very experienced in the Philippines. They've gone to film festivals. You know, they're, they're pros. So we had a, a really good team. And that's partly why it took so long because... The vision is a film that involves great, talented personnel that you have to pay properly. <laughs> One of the interesting things I observed in the documentary is that wherever you went, wherever you played, you were surrounded by eyes welling with tears. Of course, the Harana is the form a little separated from us. So how did the local communities of the Haranistas you visited, how did they respond to you coming to film and record their Haranas? One of the most powerful moments I experienced during the filming of Harana was when we filmed in Tondo, in Plaza Morga. So we went there and, you know, Tondo has this reputation for gangsters and, and all that. And they were that. It's always been my belief that music should be brought to their element. They shouldn't have to come to the concert hall. And it's a more powerful experience if you bring music where they are. And so once I parked myself in Plaza Morga and people just started milling around and who's this guy? What's he doing? So I just started to play and suddenly it hit them. You know, they hear this Filipino music that they would never hear in their daily lives. They hear this classically treated music that they're familiar with in 
the middle of the street, really. And I think that's very powerful to them. It's powerful for me, for sure, because of the way they responded. It reminds me of that scene in Shawshank Redemption when Tim Robbins trapped himself in the office and put the speaker out and played Mozart to the prisoners. And they're all stunned. They're all transfixed to the speaker. I think it's kind of like that. They've never seen this. They've never heard this. They were never privy to this. They were never entitled to this. And suddenly it's there. A classical music being played in Plaza Morga. And it was, it is powerful. Because you see children, five-year-olds carrying babies, you know. They're there and you see them. And then there's gangsters surrounding you. Interestingly, I wasn't threatened because they were really more curious than anything of what I'm doing. And uh, once they heard the music, they just started singing along and they started requesting songs. And uh, it's been unforgettable for me. What about in the provinces? Did they respond in a similar way to you looking for Haranistas and recording their music? Yeah. You know, it's kind of a hit and miss. You know, that's part of the process, right? Like we went all the way to Quezon province and we went there cold. We didn't know anybody. We know a couple, but we didn't have any leads as to, is there any Haranistas here at all? So I just started asking around in the street and of course, oh, this guy plays guitar, you know. So I follow, I go where they are. And when I've met three or four that they're saying are, are possible subjects, then we invite them to come to the house and we'll sing there. And we'll just, in you know, an informal manner, we'll, we'll sing there and we'll record it. And yeah, they're cool about it. And they did show up that night. We just started singing, but... To be honest with you, it wasn't what I was looking for. What I was looking for were the go-to Haranistas, the experts, and the ones with the knowledge of the repertoire, the ones with the musicality and musicianship, not just, you know, any guy from the street, really. So it's an experience. And that's when I started questioning, is this search going to get me anything? Because I was very specific in what I was looking for. I wanted someone who's brimming with musicality and knows the music, is a great singer, recording-worthy singer. And that wasn't it in Quezon province. But I did enjoy that my time there. They're very nice and buttered me up to what's coming. This is not as easy as I thought it was going to be. In fact, I started questioning again, is this just a fantasy, really? Maybe they really don't exist. I think the next step was uh, Maragondon, Cavite, and that's when I first met Mangtino. He was just referred to us by the helper in the place where we're staying. Oh, and dito po si Mangtino, he could sing. So, and then, oh, sure, sure he can. And then we go, okay, let's follow it anyway. Let's go there and meet him. So we drive through this Liblib Kumbaga. It's where he was farming. He was a farmer. So we had to go to where he's working. He was very accommodating. And in the back of my mind, okay, is, is this guy, what does this guy have to offer, you know? The video that you see on YouTube of Awit Koidingin was actually the first time we met. And so I wasn't sure how we would go along. If I, you know, if I ask him, what do you know any songs? You know, And I'll ask him, do you know this song? And I thought, do you know Awit Koidingin? And when he said, yes, sir. Oh, okay. He knows the repertoire already. Okay. So and then we tried to play the intro and then he just started singing and that's when i think okay we might have a beautiful film after all this one we had a lead from uh, fides my wife is also the co-producer uh, some of his relatives 
pointed us to a Kundiman singer in Marigondon who won in Kundiman singing contest. That's a strong lead. So we go there and we met Mang Romi and he sang for me right in the street, really. A cappella, because I didn't have my guitar with me. And that's also captured in the film. And it turned out he was also a wonderful, wonderful singer. Very distinctive style than Mangtino. So we ended up inviting him to come with us and play in this house and record proceedings. And we have a lot of lovely capture of him singing. So that's great. And of course, you didn't just stay in Cavite. So what brought you to Ilocos? It was really nothing more than the visual aspect of old Philippines. We wanted to shoot vegan because I think it's beautiful with old houses. And what better atmosphere can you shoot actual serenade than those types of homes? And that's the only reason. That's the only basis that we went there, you know. Little did you know. (laughs) Exactly. So, and again, it was a cold search. We have no leads at all. But one of the personnels in the hotel, Aling Aning, I asked her, do you know any singers who know the repertoire? I described to her everything that I'm looking for. And what I learned is if there's someone really good in the town, the town folk would know. So it's actually not very hard, maybe except when we went to Quezon. But in the next stops, it's just that, you know, you just ask the town folk and they usually know because they've seen them perform in the plaza consistently over the years. So that's how it happened with Mang Felipe Alonso. It turned out he was a recording artist for Villar. And he had this album, like a 12-track album of Ilocano Haranas. I only knew it after the fact. But so, oh yeah, that's Mang Felipe, nagpapasada ng tricycle, doon sa kanto. So we go to the kanto, we wait for him. And finally, he arrives in this tricycle. And that's also captured in the movie. And he sang one of his signature songs called Dardarabdeb. And he, he used my guitar, and we're so fortunate to have captured that scene because it was absolutely magical. When his voice starts rising up and welling, the whole crew was astounded. So we locked out, definitely. Again, I just asked a hotel personnel, and she knew right away. And then Mang Felipe performed over the years in Sarsuela. He's been performing in Sarsuela, and the Sarsuela composers wrote for him. A lot of those songs in the albums were written with him in mind. In fact, that album was arranged by Leopoldo Silos. So it's really well produced. And unfortunately, it's out of print. It's called Kenka Biago. It's interesting because one of my followers in YouTube found a copy. I don't know where. And then he contacted me and he burned them. And then he gave me a special link to hear them. And they're beautiful. They're beautiful. It's too bad that it no longer exists. A reissue might be in order, because it really is interesting. These are people you wouldn't think were as skilled as you say. Mangtino, a farmer. Mang Romeo, a fisherman. And you wouldn't think that Mang Felipe was as big of a star as they could get back then. <laughs> it's sad, unfortunately. Yeah. They're jewels. I mean, they're jewels in these beautiful places that basically they're ignored. When you're just a tricycle driver, you're just a farmer, nobody pays attention to you, right? But in fact, they hold the key to a lot of our cultural wealth. So I think it's important to uh, meet these kinds of musicians because they offer so much that we don't know about. Once they start doing their thing, it just hits people so powerfully that, wow, we have this. 
they romanticize these situations and the beauty of the province and et cetera, et cetera. But these Aranistas, they lived it. It's them. They hold it. You know, they're not singing about some romanticized version of where they are, of who they are. It's them themselves, you know. Yeah, and when they sing now, whoever can still sing now, they remember. They don't reference a sheet of music like Mantino. These are pieces I would imagine he knew by heart. Exactly. No, he didn't read uh, sheet music at all. But what's amazing to me is he remembered all the songs. All I have to ask, do you know this song? Oh, yeah, yeah, I know that song. I, I play the chord and he starts singing. And he has not sung this. Remember, he has not sung these songs in 20, 25 years. I think it tells me that they still sing it on their own. Uh, some of the songs don't even exist in karaoke, right? It shows me that they sang it a lot in their youth. They sang it so much that they still remember. And to me, if you sang a lot of those songs back in the day, you're a true experienced Haranista with the musical chops because you actually did your training, right? It never fails to astound me that he knew the whole breadth of the repertoire. It's not just him. Mangromi, Mang Felipe, they knew everything from Felipe de Leon's songs to Nicanor Abelardo songs. In fact, Mang Romy knew a lot of songs that were passed on to him by his father, as opposed to songs that were heard on the radio. So a lot of songs that Mang Romy presented to me, I've never heard of. In fact, I suspect some of them he wrote himself. What is the context of the Harana? You mentioned they were famous in the 30s and 40s, music of peacetime. Well, it is courtship. So it all starts from courtship because you have to remember Philippines is a very conservative Catholic country. Single men and single women were not allowed to mingle on their own. The only way that they would meet one another is through serenading under the watchful eyes of the parents it's parent-sanctioned way of meeting. So I think that's a big reason behind it. At the start of the documentary, you interviewed this senior couple. They mentioned na kapag may hinarana, alam ng buong barangay. <laughs> it's not just parent-sanctioned. Courtship back then involves the entire community. <laughs> exactly. And, and I love that. You know, in fact, one of the fallacies is Haranistas just show up and start singing. Actually, they inform the parents to begin with. Not all the time, but they happen a lot that way. That, hey, can we serenade your daughter tonight? Yeah, it's a big thing when they see someone serenaded. You know, they talk about it the next day. Oh, hinarana siya. Ang ganda ng harana. You know, it's a community thing. It's beautiful. Although you had been performing, recording haranas before this, what did you go away with after creating the documentary? Maybe there were things you had to unlearn? relearn things you realize a new appreciation well definitely my life has now become okay that's pre-harana and after harana you know, there's a demarcation there uh did it change me absolutely because just going to the provinces and meeting the people when you meet these musicians and you sing with them it's a powerful experience because to me it's like my forefathers are talking to me it's like, this is us. This is our culture. This is our music. And again, it hits different than when, when I play J.S. Bach, which again, I really love doing. But it's a different experience when you play with musicians who have great knowledge of the repertoire 
50, 40, 30 years ago, because really we don't hear them anymore. I feel like it became my calling and it has been what I've been doing the past 20 years, maybe more. It has become my contribution, I'd like to think. The legacy of Harana, of course, is not only on you. You also made the documentary public. Can you tell us why you did that and when? So Harana, as I mentioned before, is actually quite an old movie. We shot it in 2008 and we finished it in 2012. It released in 2012 and it did really well in the film festival circuit. And then after that, it's been behind a paywall. So you have to go to the Harana website. But three years ago during the pandemic, we decided, my co-producer and I, Fides Enriquez, we decided, hey, let's just post it in YouTube, help people out maybe, you know, because everyone's inside in 2020 during the pandemic. And so we did. It was out there for about three, maybe three to six months. A lot of people watched it. And to us, that was just a temporary thing. So after six months, we closed it back to the, behind the paywall. And then this year, we decided, well, it's 10-year anniversary since the touring of the film festival. Let's just bring it out again. And this time, the response has been viral. That's when it shot up from 30K to 300K in like two months, you know. That's so interesting to me because it's such a different reaction from when we first released it for free in 2020. And it was partially because... We released a video of Mantino performing live with me in Pasukin Ilocos Norte. And when we published that song, we provided a link to YouTube and then people, they want to see more. So they went to YouTube and of course the YouTube algorithm decided, oh, this video is getting a lot of uh, hits. So let's push it up to more people. All because of that single song that Mantino, and um, it moved people to tears. That song was so powerful to them, so beautiful, and naturally they want more. So that was the start of it. And it's interesting that 11 years after Harana's release, it's getting a second life that is actually viewed more than before, than when it first came out. Well, if that short clip with Mantino moved people to tears, I guess people were surprised at just how many tears they could produce watching that film. Uh, again, uh, I couldn't stop crying while watching Harana. Yeah. We get that a lot. And, and I think people were realizing something that they lost and now they see again. I know this. I cannot believe we don't have this anymore. Why don't we have this anymore? And I don't know why they are more receptive to it now, you know, other than that video, of course. But I also think my theory is this time they're more ready for it. Back then when we made it in 2012, I don't feel that they're ready for it. People were not into appreciating their own music the way they are now. It is lamentable that Harana, the form, has quite died out, perhaps, except in recordings. What do you see is in the future of Harana? Where do you think the form will take us in the coming years? Well, here's my fantasy. My fantasy is that we love our own traditional music the same way that the Portuguese love their fado, the Mexicans love their banda music, their mariachi, and the Spain love their flamenco. Filipinos don't have that. But wouldn't it be great 
if we all start, you know, you go to a Bundiman bar where they have singers, the way the Portuguese sing their fado. This will not happen unless there are more artists to champion them. We need younger artists to maybe iterate Harana or Kundiman and celebrate it. it. It starts with appreciation of your own. Once you understand its power, hopefully these artists will create their own and they will release their own take on it. They will then revive it. That's the only way it's going to happen if artists are joining in, you know, and uh, coming up with new materials even. That's my fantasy. <laughs> What do you want people to take away from the film Harana? Is to be inspired by it. Inspiration is no small thing. It moves mountains. I mean, that's part of the reason why I did this, because I was so inspired. The whole search was fueled by inspiration. You know, it's not realistic to hope that the Harana as a tradition will come back. No. And I'm actually less interested in that. I'm more interested in the music, because I think the music is one of a kind. It's really quite beautiful and i just can't believe that people don't listen to this more because once they discover this it's eye-opening and that's always been the uh, response from our social media posts is that this takes me back suddenly they realize they have their own culture what are you talking about we have our own here it is and i hope that people would realize that after watching the film